Restore Gospel Podcast is happy to present episode 14, Stories of the Saints. My son reminded me today that this is the first time we've had a returning guest for Story of the Saints. Happy to welcome in today, Brother Andrew Smith. Um, he was here with his friends, Jason Kane and Samuel Jordison, a while back. Today, he's here by himself. A little preface to today's episode, um, Andrew sent me a message yesterday, asked if I had heard a dream, an experience he had while in Nepal, and uh, I had heard part of that referenced by his dad in a sermon not too long ago, but Andrew and I met yesterday morning and spent some time talking together, and I just, I thought that this is something that would be good to share with others, and so he agreed to come over today and record. So, Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be back. Nice to have you back. When was this? When 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 was this time frame that you had this? Was this you and Brian Heron? Yep. Yeah, we were um, in Indian Nepal from February twenty second to March seventh of this year. Jeez. Okay. So not too long ago. Okay. Yep. And um, did you guys know before you left? Well, surely you did. Then you, you knew the COVID nineteen thing was. Um, well, it was known it was going on. Was there any, and at that time, I take it they were allowing flights still in and out and they were, um, and actually we had, we had, we had booked our flights last, um, late fall, early winter of last year. And our first, um, choice flights were through China. Actually, um, we were going to have two stops in China and cause they were like, Five hundred dollars cheaper than everything else. Uh, they were half as half as expensive as the prices we normally see. <laughs> so, we we jumped on those, and then the situation got a little bit more serious, and so we rerouted. Thankfully, because of um, the seriousness of the issue, I guess they allowed free um, cancellations and stuff and or refunds. So we got all the money back from the first flights, and we're able to still find some good flights through Europe. So that was much nicer. Okay. So you just got back in March then, yep. not, not too long ago. Nope. Well, let's get right to it. Um, while you were in Nepal, you had uh, an experience, you had a dream. Why don't you just, I'll just let you share. Tell me, tell me about that. Sure. Um, so this was near the tail end of the trip. Uh, we had been doing a couple of things while we were there. We had uh, some... We, we started off the trip with a priesthood retreat for two or three days um, right outside Kathmandu. Um, then we went to India where we um, visited with some saints in the Sikkim region, uh, northern India. And then we traveled back to Kathmandu and then uh, went to uh, western Nepal, which is... Um, Less visited, I guess. Um, uh, they have a lot more um, trouble with roads. And so when it rains, which it often does, um, the roads get washed out and there's no chance of going over there. So um, we were actually the first um, foreign people to see one of these branches that we visited, um, which is crazy because um, one of these branches was was large. It was supposedly over 200 people. Um, and so we, 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 
we knew there hadn't been rain. And so we knew we were like, we gotta, we gotta go here. We need to find out if this place is a fairy tale or what. Right. And, and many of these branches have come about by a minister. Is that right? Named Gil? Dill. 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 Yep. And I think yeah. when Mark, uh, Mark, oh my gosh, McCormick was here. Yeah. He, he, I've heard his testimony a couple of times, but the quick of it is, I mean, this man, Jesus came and appeared to this man basically in his house as he was searching for truth mm. and, and he came to know him that way. Right. And then, um, anyway, we won't go into that, but the restoration gospel, he's, he's everything I've heard. He's an amazing man. He is. I, I've really valued my time with him and, uh, his, his testimony is really powerful. So he's done a lot of work over there. And then you were the, the first two, I guess, missionaries from here, pale skinned missionaries <laughs> to go and visit them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that branch since it had been finished, at least, right. um, there, there have been a couple of people go to the town, but, um, the, the church had just been finished two or three years ago and nobody had seen it since. And that's when all the growth had happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and the testimony actually takes place the night after um, we visited this branch and then another branch that was slightly larger too. There were about 50 to 60 people. And um, one of our concerns, Brian and I, uh, I keep saying that, I can't speak for Brian. So <laughs> if he's listening or anybody listening, um, I include him just because he was there with me. I can speak for my opinion, but um <laughs> I had concerns about their um, restoration roots in the fact that I I wasn't sure if they were teaching the Book of Mormon at all. I, I didn't know if it was openly accepted or, or what, because often over there, um, it's really hard to tell because communication is such a barrier. Uh, I mean, like Dill's a really good translator and, and he does a really good job conveying points, but sometimes when you're talking to someone who's not Dill, it's really hard to uh, determine if they understand the question or if you are understanding their question, just because culture and language, it's just so very different. So we, I had some um, hesitations about them in the Book of Mormon and, and um, we had talked to Dill about those Um and we ended up having a conversation with one of the presiding elders, um, the one from the second branch, about the Book of Mormon, and and he had um, he had also been uh, he had been aware of our I guess hesitations and um, spoke to us very plainly, which we really appreciated. It's really also that's something um, that's also really hard just because of cultural differences that it's really hard to get a um, an answer you don't want to hear out of somebody, even if it's the correct answer, you know? So, um, you said they, they have, because of their culture, they really want, they have by their nature, they want to please you. Yeah. Not to be dishonest, but out of respect. Right. Yeah. It's totally out of respect. I mean, they just want to give you what you want to hear. And, And so it's not like smooching or whatever, but, uh, it's, yeah, no, they, they, um, are very, very respectful and, and that's part of their respect. So, um, he, he just gave us an honest answer and, and it was a really big deal. Um, and he said, you know, Christianity over here is so small, two or 3% of the total population. Christians have to stick together. Um, they are pretty 
pretty persecuted over there. Um, and so they just have to stick together. I mean, like you support Christian businesses. If you're Christian, you, you, uh, know everybody else who's Christian. I mean, Dill knew, seemed like everybody in Kathmandu who was Christian and, uh, like 4 million people there or something. And, um, and so because of that, because the, the tight knit community they had, it was really hard for them to put the Book of Mormon into um, teaching or preaching because all of the other Christians were like, no, that's that's not a good book. That's not a good book. And so... Isn't it crazy? Like, even over there, they've been programmed against it. Yeah. And just by other Christian missionaries, I guess, that have brought the gospel, you know, from, from here probably. Yeah, and I think it speaks to something we'll probably talk about a little later is that we like really easy surface level rules. And one of the big rules most of Christianity follows is that the Bible is the only word of God. And um, and so, I mean, it's really easy to hear that and say, okay, that's a great rule because I can't accept anything but the Bible. Right. That's And that's awesome. I mean, not because... God doesn't speak anymore. They they don't. That's not even in the in the picture. I guess it's just because it makes it easy. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, um, it is unfortunate how they still have that same bias <laughs> all the way around the world in a third world country. You know, but um, well, what's their main religion over there besides Christianity? Is it Hindu? Hindu. Hindu. Yeah, they're so. they're mostly Hindu. Um, we can't imagine that over here. In no. America, it's just okay. hard to wrap your mind around it. No. You said how much percentage were Christian? Two, two, two or three. Yeah. yeah. So imagine two or three out of a hundred people, and the rest are Hindu. Yeah. So that's just a culture yeah. shift. It's like eighty, or I, I can't, I can't give exact figures, but yeah. I've always, it's two or three percent Christian, and then majority is Hindu, and then some Buddhist and some Muslim over there. Um, but yeah, it's. It's tough. Well, that would <laughs> that would kind of force you into like having a certain set of rules or standard. Like, okay, this is what we go by. We believe in the Bible. Not, I don't even know what the Hindus read. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what the book is, but yeah, um, it's a long name. I yeah. don't remember what it is either. Okay, but um, sorry, this is a long explanation. Winding. No, that's okay. I, because I I want I want people to to get to grasp the setting for this. So go ahead. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So, um, he shared his hesitations about the book of Mormon and sharing it with his congregation. And we were able to share with him some, some things about, um, teaching the youth, how that could probably help the acceptance of, of their parents and stuff. And, um, just other strategies, I guess. Um, but the conversation ended and we felt pretty good about it. Um, and this was the only time actually in our two week trip that we stayed in a hotel and we had gotten one, Brian and I, um, had our own beds in this one room and then Dill was in the next room. And, um, so Dill went back to his room and Brian and I were about to go to sleep and we said our prayers and it's probably about two or three in the morning. And I had this dream and, in the dream, I was in this just gray space. Um, it was like nothing was around me, but I could see the color gray. I guess that doesn't really matter. But um, I heard this voice, and I'd like to read with you because um, I wrote it down right after um, I woke up 
because I knew I wouldn't remember it as well as I should. Um, but what I heard was more intent, I guess, more than words, except for the last sentence, which I specifically remember. Um, but let me just read for you what I remember him saying. Sorry, I should have had it well, you're fine. up, but all right. It says, um, what are, or what I remember, it says, the people here in Nepal and India have not had sufficient time to accept the Book of Mormon. That is not where their salvation lies. They're missing out on the message and hope in Zion. That is something they need urgently. In the coming days, they will need to know that there is hope and a place of safety. And now this is the sentence that I specifically remember emphasis on. They need to know of Zion before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And um, I'm not exactly prone to having spiritual dreams. I think I've had maybe one or or two, kind of. And um, But they've never been like this direct. They've always just kind of been like, oh, that's... It's neat. That could be taken in a cool, cool kind of way. But this was very direct, like God was speaking to me, you know, and I woke up and I just had to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I had to do something. And that phrase, the great and terrible day of the Lord just kept running over and over and over in my mind. And, um, I have, um, access to the scriptures on my phone, the, uh, scripture search. And so I, I did it. Um, and I, put in the great terrible day of the Lord came up third Nephi four. Um, and it is right before Jesus is there. All the crazy stuff is going on and they're saying, man, we wish we would have repented before this great and terrible day of the Lord because, um, we wouldn't have lost our family or, or they're, they're saying they missed things and they wished they would have repented because they knew had they repented, they wouldn't have lost these things. And, um, that that yearning or burning I had in my um, in my gut, kind of to do something, was filled. And I knew what I had to do was just repent right there. I knew I couldn't wait anymore. Um, I knew it was urgent, and so I almost just turned over. Like I was still in bed at this point, and I almost just turned over and started saying a prayer. And I was like, I can't repent this way. <laughs> I need to be more sincere <laughs> because. I I am not just a petty sinner. I am a a, a bad sinner, you know. And so I saw, kind of like Paul says, I I'm a chief of sinners, you know. So um, I I got out of my sleeping bag and um, got on my knees and I started this prayer that was so just raw. It was so honest and so open. Um, and in it, I just listed every sin I could think of. Uh, for the time I was a young boy to that day, I just started tossing them out the window. It seems like, like, I just don't want these anymore. I know they don't bring me joy. I know they don't bring me fulfillment. I, and, and I've done them anyway, you know, and like I've, sometimes I've done them knowingly, sometimes not, but I just don't want them in between you and me anymore. And I, uh, I prayed there for probably quite a while and, um, I got back in bed, uh, after the prayer was done and I just laid there and I was still like kind of shaking cause this was a really great experience. And, um, and it wasn't 
I don't know how much longer it was, but it wasn't 30 seconds longer or more after that when Brian in the bed next to me um, starts to stir and then he shouts almost like screams, get out of here. And I'm like, Whoa boy, I, I was shaking before. And that almost made like jump. <laughs> uh, I can imagine like the hair on my arms, just like standing straight up. And, um, <laughs> the head had been nuts out of the silence of the, I know it just uh, happened. And it, I mean, there's like an eerie rain outside and it's total dark. And I, I mean, I was already just like a little jittery from, what had just happened. And then he just shouts and I, Oh boy, I, uh, it was uh, frightening, but, um, he, he stirs after that. And I'm like, uh, Brian, are you, you okay? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm okay. And uh, did you have a dream? And he's like, yeah, I had a dream. <laughs> and that was at least a little bit comforting that he wasn't hallucinating or anything, but, um, so we share with each other what had just happened. I share with him my dream and he shares with me his. And in his, we were standing, or well, in that room, um, in that same hotel room. And um, he was made aware that there's this presence outside of the window that his bed was closest to. And it was dark and it was kind of just glooming and or looming and, and I don't know, just bad and um starts growing and growing and and trying to get in through this window that's right next to him and he realizes it's gonna eventually come in and so he knows what he has to do and he he casts it out and that's what i heard him shout out was get out of here like um he in his dream he in the name of christ get out of here but um but yeah, he, he casts it out and it leaves. And, um, that's when he woke up and after talking about both of our experiences, he, um, or we both really believe that, that, um, that spirit or whatever was, was there to counteract the work that God was doing and trying to distract or, um, just totally tear down what God had done for me just seconds before that. And that was, I knew I had to repent and I knew I had to um, tell people of Zion. And I knew after Brian's experience that there was something out there that didn't want me to do those things. And um, I think that drew the importance of the testimony kind of to an appropriate value. Like I saw how much it was worth and um, it was a really, really great experience I asked you yesterday, I said, did you, did you feel clean after that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like even in your act of repenting that the Holy Spirit was leading you and helping you remember those things to. Definitely. Definitely. Um, it, I, a big portion of why I think the prayer was so open and raw was because it wasn't my own, which mm -hmm. is funny because I was repenting, but. It, it didn't feel like I was the one saying the prayer, you know, it, it felt like, um, the part of me that was still with God at the beginning, you know? And, and so that was just so, it was great. It was back to who I was created to be, you know, and that was really cool. I asked you that yesterday when we were sharing because of my very limited, um, knowledge of God and 
trying to discern what experiences are from him and what are from my own imagination, I guess. One thing, I just I don't believe the adversary can counterfeit or that I can bring up on my own is that feeling of clean cleanliness or cleanness. And the few times that that's happened in my life when the Spirit's been present and true repentance takes place, it's this uh, overwhelming joy. I can only imagine what the tree, what the fruit on the tree, that white, pure love of God um, is going to be like because there's nothing better than to feel clean and forgiven and to have the weight of the world literally lifted off of you. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Now, one other thing I didn't ask you yesterday, Andrew, I think maybe your dad brought this up when he was sharing this in your in his sermon, but had you and Brian had a conversation prior about um, maybe Brian mentioned like he wasn't prone to having spiritual dreams or hadn't ever had one or something to that effect? Yeah, yeah. Um, I it, it was a while now, so I don't remember the exact wording, but he and I had a conversation about just dreams in general, and I had said I I dream. I don't know. I was, I think I was telling him about like in Kenya, I had experienced really weird dreams from the malaria medicine I was was having. So I was like, I hope this doesn't happen this time too. This was at the beginning of our trip. So before the experience, um, and he was like, Oh, I, I never really have dreams. And if I do, I don't remember them at all. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I think I can remember maybe one or two, but yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. I just, I thought that was a neat side note because it was, that yeah. night he actually, yeah, that yeah. experience. Yeah, and, and that definitely drew, it had validity in my mind because we had talked about it before and he was like, yeah, that doesn't happen to me. So yeah. it, that was cool. Well, back so back to your experience. So so you you and him both had this and then you talked about it and then you you said that I'm glad that you had the forethought or the, the presence of mind to write down exactly what, the words were, but read. The, you said again. It said the great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, apparently, something was going to happen, or you felt like something was coming, and that these people needed the hope of Zion, right, a, a place of safety. Yeah, yeah, they needed to know um, just of Zion before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And and I have to give Brian the credit for writing it down. He was. <laughs> we were just sitting there after we had discussed it, and I was like, I want to do more. <laughs> I want to, I want to do something with this now. And he's like, well then write it down. Cause you want to, you want to keep it as fresh as you can. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he definitely, um, introduced me to that initial thought, but, um, yeah, I'm really glad it was written down as well. It was, um, not what I would have expected to hear, you know, from, which is what we probably all would say if God talked to us. But, um, I, it just wasn't the message that I guess I was, I was, uh, expecting had, had, I guessed God would come to me and say something. And, um, so you, um, so here's an important thing. When you shared this with me, when I first heard this, the, as we as we're going through this season of this this pandemic, this worldwide pandemic, um, and of course, I wonder about the timeline of things. You know, uh, it seems like when bad things happen, people come out and say, "Oh, it's the end of the world" or calamities, and this they start referencing things in scriptures. And um, I don't, 
there's also there's always another side to that where people say, yeah, but these things have happened all through time. Earthquakes have been through time and tempests. And um, but my response to that is, but there's prophecy, and so when certain things have to be fulfilled first. Well, this fits right in the timeline. We know in the Book of Mormon, it talks about the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled. And I know a lot of people feel strongly that that has happened or is happening now in America with wickedness and other Gentile nations turning from God. So I was thinking, if if God in the past has warned people, would he not warn people if there was something coming that was going to usher in his return? And we know how bad things are supposed to be. Or through the scriptures, you know, the kinds of things that are going to happen. And so you looked up this phrase, and oddly enough, before Christ came, that was referred to the great and terrible day of the Lord when Christ appeared the first time in America. And all of these earthquakes and buildings fall and people died, and they said, oh, if I would have repented. And that was the spirit that led you to repent. So the other thing you brought up was you had a concern that the people over there like you said, you know, if you if you give them money and build churches, you know, they'll you didn't want people you were worried that people were just maybe giving lip service to God, you know, for what they would get out of it. And and the marker in your mind you, you said was are they teaching the book of Mormon? And that was something when you shared this experience that was I would say a stumbling block for me because I thought God wouldn't say you need to know about Zion first. You know, you don't have time to accept the Book of Mormon right now. I didn't understand that, especially Corey and I focused so much on the Book of Mormon in the last days. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, I stepped back for a minute and I thought, hmm, is that really the Lord saying that or not? But as we talked yesterday, it became so clear to me this awesome thing that I want to talk about. So, um, so just share, like, how did you feel after that experience? Was that worry then abated that you had had about, you know, the people over there? Or did you have a different perspective, I should say, then? Yeah, it was definitely a different perspective. I was no longer really concerned about um, whether they knew all the rebuttals to the Book of Mormon um, uh, supposedly, I don't know, the the bad things that people say about the Book of Mormon. All those things I I really wasn't concerned about. uh, about that, it was more that they just knew Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and that he would bring them to whatever truth that he wanted them to bring. Um, he, he would bring them to the truth that he wanted in their lives, you know, and, and, um, and, and that was kind of, you, you know, my only concern after that point, um, which was very different from before because I was very concerned about, mm-hmm. uh, the book of Mormon not being, just spoken of really right before that. And that's a marker that we've used in the restoration for a long time. And so even that phrase teaching the book of Mormon, um, I mean, people could have a number of ideas on what those words mean in their mind, but, but we, we have come from a culture where we've almost felt like we've needed to defend the book that at its divinity and that it's, not made up. It wasn't written by a man, you know, that it was divine. And um, in doing so, we've probably done ourselves a disservice and the world for that matter to always be so defensive rather than 
taking the offensive and letting what the the words and the concepts in the Book of Mormon change us on the inside and let that light and truth shine to people and bring that light of knowing Christ in that way, in that complete way that the Book of Mormon opens up, rather than focusing on the book itself. And that's what, I think that's what came out in our conversation yesterday for me. Um, and I don't want to take it, if you have more to share about that experience before we get into the philosophical thing, but... Um, that no, I, no, yeah. So, you said something yesterday, and and as you were talking to me, I realized the Book of Mormon... Like Abinadi having his experience and preaching to the the people. There was no Book of Mormon at the time. That was Abinadi revealing light and truth about Jesus that had been revealed to him to other people. And and that's really what you're sharing with me. What did you say about the package? You said the Book of Mormon is just a package for truth, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I was trying to think of an analogy, I guess, to, to bring this um, – I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of analogies. You can ask the <laughs> Jason and Sam who was on here last time when we do our podcasts, they always laugh at me because I, they think I know, they think they know, sorry, where uh, my analogies are going and then I'll take a weird spin with them <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. But um, anyway, that's off the point. But um, yeah, when, when Jesus tries to teach us something or when he does teach us something, it's often done in packaging. I've, I've found is that he, he gives it to us in something that we are willing to accept. And so that we will open it because if, if he gives us something, um, say that I had a really bad, this is just a silly example. Say I had a really bad experience with something, uh, orange, Okay. So I did, I hate the color orange. I hate it so much that I don't even want to look at anything orange. And then Jesus gives me an orange package like, or, and then I don't even know it's Jesus. Like he mails it to me and I'm like, Oh, it's orange. I'm not going to look at it, right. you know? But if I really love the color blue and then he puts it in something that's blue and then, well, okay, yeah, I'll open it. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's kind of like that is that the book of Mormon is, is, um, a casing or a package, um, or just even a path to, um, to truth. And, and so what I found, I guess, is that, um, we shouldn't get up, we shouldn't get hung up on which path we take to truth, as long as it is truth at the end of the trail, you know? And so, and so I guess that's what my concern was that they, oh, they need to take this path of, um, I believe in the restoration, like I'm going to get baptized. And then I believe or have a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Okay. And that leads me to a testimony of the DNC. And okay. That leads me to testimony uh, of Joseph, Joseph Smith. Or, yeah. Yeah. Any of that stuff, just whatever restoration progression we've been used to, I guess. And then, and then that leads me to Jesus. But this experience really taught me that, you know, I, and, and I had said this before, is that Jesus doesn't want a middleman. He doesn't want any middleman in our relationship with him. And the, the testimony of the Book of Mormon is so, so important, but it does not come before your testimony of Jesus. And I mean, I, 
I learned that, you know, and my heart learned it, I guess, more than my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, well, it brings us back to the absolute purpose of the Book of Mormon to reveal Christ, and it's so Christ-centered. Right. And so if people are having Christ revealed to them, then the fullness of the gospel, the purpose of the Book of Mormon, they're, they're also having the same experience that it would. And it's interesting that Dill over there didn't receive the gospel from a missionary. He, he received yeah. the gospel as Christ showed up on his door and said, I am Jesus, right? He yeah, revealed, absolutely. He personally revealed himself to him. And so, but back to this testimony. So it seems like when God told you um, that they don't have time maybe to get over the the hump or the stigma of the Book of Mormon per se, those efforts. But what is really important that they know now is this concept of of a kingdom on earth, of Christ returning and being a place of safety. Uh, All things that are revealed in the Book of Mormon, Yeah, but Mm -hmm. not saying, hey, accept this book, let's read through it, but let's just talk about truth and what we know Christ is going to do. That would make me think that there's something on the horizon pretty quickly yeah. I mean, it seems like there is this imperative, and like you said, you found you felt these different times. This this burning to like, I need to go warn people. I need to let them know. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, it felt very urgent, and um, you know that that shouldn't cause you any fear, um, because God is in control, and and what is coming, whatever it is, is is done by him, you know? And so, well, we're sitting here on, um, March the, sorry, May the 14th. <laughs> and even, uh, six weeks ago, I never would have seen what has happened in this country happen. Yeah. I never would have seen, um, people stay at home for a couple of weeks and make sure we don't get overwhelmed to turn into all of the division. Um, what well, you mentioned yesterday, people talk about the last days and that maybe us fighting a common enemy, whether we're invaded from another country or whatever, or how America kind of came together at nine mm-hmm. eleven, yeah, um, uh, right side, left side, whatever. But now this thing is is dividing us, yeah, one yeah. against each other. We, and you said like you never thought of, you'd be afraid to touch another American, right? But but we're at fear of each other right now. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think it speaks to. Um, there's a really good quote I like. I don't remember who said it, but it, he said, well, it's attributed to Winston Churchill, but I don't, There, nobody's for sure whether he said it or not, I think. It says success is uh, defined as going from, um, oh, darn. Um, it's success is defined as going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Um, and I really like that um, mm. because as a nation, I think we have to keep that, that same mindset, I guess, because we're going to fail. I mean, that's just our human nature. We're going to fail, but we have to keep, keep pushing on. And, um, if we lose enthusiasm, if we lose the, the fight that's in us, you know, then that's when we've lost. And so, um, when nine 11 or when things have come at us, us and, um, we've been like, all right, let's get this done. Let's come together. Let's, be who we are supposed to be, you know, like after nine 11, um, there's so, so much unity, uh, so much Americanism, you know, like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's make, um, I don't know. There was just that, that 
sense of togetherness. A common enemy. We had a common enemy that was threatening all of us, regardless of our political bent. And, um, yeah, yeah. And so now with this, it's like, it's like we've lost our enthusiasm. It's like, you know, we don't want to get together anymore. We don't want to be together, you know, cause it's not just, it's just not what we want. And so that's telling to me that, I mean, that's, we're about to lose, you know, it, it just makes sense to me, but I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. And, and well, it seems like the ruling powers too, our leaders are, are so corrupt that um, there's no there's no concern for the common wealth. It's it's how is it going to reflect on us so that we can keep our position and our jobs and, and our power, and that's sad. But that's where we're at as a country, and that's because of our sin. That's we're getting what we deserve. I mean, we as a nation, not not individually, but that's what we've done. We've we've snubbed the Lord. So, well. Back to this, uh, you you mentioned a couple things yesterday. I think that that you've learned that have stuck out to you in the Word that kind of uh, reinforce this experience. One of those you told me was something jumped out at you in the Scriptures with Jesus and Mary and Martha. Do you remember that? Speak to that for a minute because that stuck with me. I've been pondering on that since yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of a one of my favorite stories now. I guess with Jesus. Uh, and Mary and Martha, as you said, um, but it's right after Lazarus has died, you know, um, so he's traveling with his disciples back um, to the place where he was buried. And first Martha comes up to Jesus and um, she says, hey, um, why weren't you here? <laughs> if you were here, he would have lived. And um, his response, you know, is is fairly telling. He's like, do you believe I'm the son of God? And she's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, okay, then what do you have to worry about? You know, it's kind of just like, it's kind of blunt. Just like, why are you, why are you freaking out? Like what's, you know, you know who I am, you know, the power I have, then why worry? You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, probably not with the attitude that I just said it with, (laughs) but, um, that's his response. And then he goes to Mary and she gives him the same exact exact thing. And she says, Lord, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And he doesn't say a word. He just cries with her. And I think it's so important when we look at um, who Jesus is, you know, we we call him, we call God, our father, our heavenly father. um, And, and good fathers know that their kids are different. They know that when one kid messes up, they need to be punished or directed in a different way than say, another kid. And so I see this as a a great example here of Jesus doing that exact same thing is that Mary and Martha come to him. They give him the exact same response and he does very different things with each of them. Um, Martha needed to just be told to calm down almost. And Mary needed support. She needed that emotional support and, and love and, not to say that he didn't love Martha, obviously, but she needed different packaging of that love, I guess, going back to the right, phrase. Right, both loved. Yeah. yeah. He loves both of them the same. Yeah. We know God loves us equally. And it's, in, and it's important to know that it is love at the root of each of his gifts. Like right. he is the perfect giver. It's because love is at the root of everything he does, but the packaging 
in which he gives us that love is very different. And I think that's important when we look to um, do missionary work, when we look to do home visits, when we look to do anything is that we have to realize we can't just follow this script and say, this packaging worked for the majority of people back in America. So I'm going to use it over in Nepal, or I'm going to use um, it with someone who's not a church member or um, you can go on, I guess, but it's just important to know, I guess, that God sees us so, so clearly. He knows what packaging we need to to see, what will reach us, mm-hmm. you know? And we see that time and time again in the life of Jesus is that he says stuff and then people are just like, whoa. Like, are they, I mean, it just shakes their world. And what he says is so simple, but it's the perfect thing for them. It's the perfect thing that they needed to hear. And, um, one of my good friends, he, he had his, I guess, life changing testimony when, um, someone said something to him that he had heard a thousand times, but because of his mindset going into that conversation, because of where he was in life, when he heard it that thousandth time, I mean, that changes his life. And, and it was because, it wasn't because that truth had changed, you know, God had always loved him through when he was born, when he was sinning, when he was off doing whatever, you know, and, and, and then when he had the testimony, it wasn't like God suddenly loved him then. It was that right then his heart was in a place that could receive that love. And, and he knew that, you know, God knew that. And, um, so I think it's really important um, and this is a lot of what we talked about yesterday is that we can't follow just blanket rules. We have to follow the spirit, you know, and I, I think that's so important, especially in missionary work, but just every aspect in life. Right. Yeah. So exactly. So you, you can't walk into a situation that you have, you have to believe in the doctrine and covenants. You have to believe in the book of Mormon. Um, you know, you, like you said, but there is truth that needs to be revealed to them about their creator and his love for them that, that draws them in to him. And, and as you said, you know, when that happens and when they meet Christ and they have fellowship with that spirit, eventually um, all of the truth, the truths contained in the book of Mormon will be accepted, you know, whether it's in Zion or it's not like there's going to be this great division. Everyone will be brought to the point, but we cannot lay down, um, like you said, a certain a framework that people have to fit into. Because mm-hmm. the only framework is we revealing the love of Christ to others that we know of him and watching their lives change. I asked you, I said, did you feel loved over there or did you sense love among the people? And what was your response to that? that? Absolutely. Uh, I felt more at home over there than sometimes mm-hmm. often I do over here, you know. Uh, and it was it was definitely because of the love that they have for each other and they had for us. And what um, did, what did Christ say by this? The, they'll I mean, know you're yeah, my disciples. Absolutely. By, yeah. So they do fit into the framework as far as Jesus is concerned. Not that they've outright rejected the book of Mormon, just that w- the way you shared it to me, it was like, you know, it's going to take some, well, what God told you. Yeah. What God told you was necessary for them to know about Zion and a place for safety in, in his kingdom on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, that they don't have, you know, maybe time to go through all of the <laughs> theological. And, and I think it's important. I 
I love the Book of Mormon. I mean, like the podcast Sam and I and Jason and I do, it's all about the Book of Mormon. Right. Like oh, it, yes, I love absolutely. it. And my grandparents have done years and years and years of research on it. I mean, like there's such history and such a spirit and such a power in the Book of Mormon. But the pursuit of the Book of Mormon can't come before the pursuit of Jesus. And I think that's that's the key. It, it's just where are your eyes, you know? Um, well, and I think probably that's the root of when we say, when we hear about people not accepting the Book of Mormon, for those of us that have read it, it's not because of the name or the title. It's certainly not the, there's nicer uh, Bibles out there with nice wide margins <laughs> and fancy yeah. leather. Oh, yeah. But we love the Book of Mormon because of what it's done to us in our heart. And so we equate people saying, well, that's not of God. We know what it's done for us, and so we want that for them. So I could, it, it does hurt when people reject that. Like if someone was to reject my wife, that would that would hurt me because I love her so much. Um I'm not as good as analogies. It just, that's as far as it goes for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it still fits though. But so, yeah. but they're not, um, but we have to realize if God is revealing himself to them at the time in a different way, then they are coming to know Christ. Yeah. And all of this will, will, it'll all be the same truth eventually. But so that really helped me get over that first hump of, well, that can't, that message can't be from God because he would never allow us to say, um, no, it's okay if they don't accept the Book of Mormon right now. He has a bigger, more important, it seems like, pressing mission, at least for them, to to know about him. Yeah. And yeah. his plan for them. Well, and, and then even not just for them, but for all of us, what came right after that is that we need to repent, you know? Yeah. Um, it, that was the, the, the crux of the matter, I guess, for me was that they need to know of Zion and you need to repent, you know? And so, I mean... If that was the spirit from that experience that caused you to want to repent, I imagine that's the message that right. you said you felt burning to get to everyone right now, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess we kind of, um, or I kind of, I've always... Mm, I've always just thought there'd just be this general message and you tell yourself that and then you tell everybody else that. And I think there's um, kind of a difference from this experience is that God wants me to improve and he wants me, he wants me to repent. Like he wants me to, he wants us to do that, but he wants us to tell ourselves that he wants uh, us to tell everyone else of Zion. And I think that's, more of a hopeful message, I guess. Um, not that we shouldn't tell people to repent. Obviously, uh, he says, preach only repentance unto this generation, you know, that kind of stuff. But like, just, um, but do it if you're going to preach it. Yeah. yeah. Don't go preach it and not do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you need to, you need to repent yourself before you start preaching repentance, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I guess I just never, I don't know. I, if any of you know my dad, this isn't anything bad about him, but, um, when I was younger, especially he used to have, um, there was kind of just like a, a running joke, I guess, about my dad and him using a loud voice when he preached, because that's just who he is, I guess. <laughs> He's just kind of fiery. And so, um, 
it wasn't because of that. I, I just use that as a kind of example, I guess. But um, I had this vision of um, it didn't totally encompass the spirit, but like the spirit tells you in power to repent, you know, like it's, it's this call to repentance and it is, it is like when you feel the spirit, you want to get closer to God and that comes through repentance. Right. But like, it's not always repent or be damned, you know? And, and so like, I don't know, it was just kind of a shift of, you can tell people to repent through, through the good that's coming as lo- as well as what is coming that is bad too. to to avoid punishment or yeah. darkness. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That to was be a part of the light. Right. Because of the joy set before you. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know that that was another good thing about the testimony is that I, I felt like I had a, a responsibility to not tell people, not just tell people to repent because they should, everybody should repent. If you don't get that from this, please reconsider everything. (laughs) But, uh, but also that, that the hope and joy that's found in Zion is, is going to be greater than anything you've ever known. And so that's the reason you should repent. You know, it's not because you're going to escape fire and brimstone by the skin of your teeth. It's because you want to be in that, in that place where God is, you want to be with him, you know, and it's just a perspective change, I guess, for me. Well, in the end, all we have is God. And if, if we don't want him now, if we don't want to be with his spirit now above everything else, then that's a problem. And, um, repentance is, is born, I think out of that, like, I don't want anything else. I just want you And that experience. The first thing you wanted to do afterwards is like, I, do, I don't want anything between me and God. I just want to be with you. So take this stuff away, you know, that would keep that, keep us apart. And that is born out of a, I think a positive love that's drawing you in, not a, I want a good reward or I don't want to be part of this. Cause that's it's all it's all out of pride, and yeah. I mean that's not how you come to God. <laughs> so, True. You said yeah. something yesterday. It was I wanted you to touch on um, as you you said you were preparing to teach a baptismal class, and they wanted to learn about the Holy Spirit. What was that really neat thing that um, that was brought out to you about the work of the Holy Spirit in teaching us? Yeah, I I had never taught a class about specifically the Holy Spirit, and so when this seven-year-old boy asked to be taught about the Holy Spirit. I wasn't going to say no, but I had to prepare, you know, and so I started looking at scriptures, what it does, how you get it, and that kind of stuff, just mm-hmm. general. But I I kept seeing all these scriptures about bringing it to your remembrance. They would bring to you a remembrance of what God had done in your life. And then I started, I mean, that just brought the, the I guess, the next thought of, okay, well, if without it, do we forget, you know, do we forget? So I started to think of all the times in the scriptures where people forgot and specifically said they forgot. And boy, there are so many, so many examples. The children of Israel, I can't tell you how many times they forgot. (laughs) We, we give them a, a bad rep for it, I guess, but, um, so many examples of them coming out of Egypt and God, 
blessing them and then they forget about it and then they start worshiping a cow and like all this different stuff of God blessing them and then they just forget about it. And I'm just like, what? Mm-hmm. How do you, uh, the the biggest example for me is Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal. Like they have this kind of competition to see which of the uh, sacrifices is going to be burned and uh, the prophets are there all day and they nothing. And then Elijah pours water all over his. And then like, I don't know, he makes it really difficult for it to even be lit. And then fire comes down from heaven and consumes not just the sacrifice, but the entire altar. And it's just incredible. Like, I think if I saw that, I, I have this picture in my mind from when I was a boy. I was like, if I saw something that big, I would never doubt God ever ever, ever again. <laughs> and then what's Elijah's response? We, we look at him and we're like, wow, this is such a great experience. And he's so cool. And he's probably so close to God right now. And then Jezebel, the queen, she's pals with Baal or something. And she's like, Hey, Elijah, I heard what you did to my prophets. I'm going to come kill you with my army. And what does he do? He runs away. He's like, Oh, I'm scared for my life. I'm going to run up this mountain and I'm going to hide. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what you, What did you just see? Uh, he, he just saw fire come down from heaven and do something that no one has ever seen ever. And, and then he runs away just because a queen is going to say, hey, I, I want you dead. You know, like, who is this queen? What power does she have? And yet he forgot he forgot what God had just done for him. And I think it's so telling when we have testimonies in our life. I, I remember going over that, his response, I guess a year or two ago and thinking, wow, what a guy, like, how could he do that? And then I realized, oh, I am Elijah. I, (laughs) I have so many testimonies that I keep going back on and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. If I would have been, um, in the spirit, or if I would have remembered the testimonies where God's told me, Hey, I love you, then maybe I wouldn't have done this sin, you know? And it was so telling, I guess for me, it just opened my eyes to a world that doesn't remember what God has done for them for, to a nation that doesn't remember what God is doing or has done for them. We don't have the spirit. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> simple as that. We need that spirit with us because without it, we're going to just keep running from Jezebel. I mean, but without the spirit we have, we'll die. We'll, we'll straight up die. And and I don't know, we all need to be reminded of that. And so going through that class was really cool uh, because the spirit is such a great tool for us. And it's such a great um, asset to our relationship with Christ. And I never seen it as something that just helps us to remember, but it's one of the key things that it does is that it just allows us to, to remember every little thing that God has done for you and to be grateful because as soon as we forget, we start to think we deserve something more than we're worth, (laughs) or we start to think we are all that. And, um, our life needs to be, uh, I don't know that we, we start making selfish choices and that's when we get in trouble, you know? So it was really cool. Um, thing that I think God had taught me through that 
preparation of that class. I never thought about it before like that. That, yeah, there's power in remembering and setting your mind upon that. When you shared that yesterday, I didn't tell you, but uh, long, many years ago, I wrote a song. I never published it, but I wrote a song about coming to God. And the main part of that was to remember and always remember what he did and what he's done for you and the remembering of, of his greatness. Um, and especially now, you know, when, when we have a temptation to fear the unknown that's lays before us as a nation, as families, as churches, remembering God's faithfulness to his people through time brings power and you can focus your eye on a lot of things but if you focus your eye on remembering his faithfulness to other people and that he loves all of his people the same, I think that brings a power and drives away the spirit of fear. But it is a, a choice and it's a temptation to not do that. And so there is a battle there. And uh, that's why keeping your eyes on the, if your eye is focused on the light, your whole body will be full of light. But that's, that's up to us in helping each other do that. I, I love that you brought that out yesterday. I want to um, check my notes here because I, I wanted to make sure we touched on some of those great things that we had talked about. Um, oh, you uh, are reading a book or you had a book with you and I, my, my wife bought this book for me. Share. This goes along the lines also of God being such a unique uh, God and knowing each one of us individually and why we can't put people in a box and how they come to Christ or what they accept first or last or whatever, but read a portion of that. You, you can share the name of the book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's uh, by our <laughs> Andrew Peterson. I, I, I mentioned his name probably too often, but go ahead. I feel the same way. Uh, I feel like people are sick of hearing about him just because of how much I bring him up, but I love this book. It's called Adorning the Dark. And uh, this is in the foreword in the book, or the preface, I guess. Um, it's a quote by George MacDonald, um, but uh, it goes like this. As the fir tree lift, lifts up itself with a far different need from the need of a palm tree, so does each man stand before God and lift up a different humanity to the common father. And for each, God has a different response. With every man, he is a secret the secret of a new name in every man. There is a loneliness an inner chamber of peculiar life into which God only can enter a chamber into which no brother, nay, no sister can come from this. It follows that there is a chamber also, O God humble and accept my speech, a chamber in God himself into which none can enter, but the one, the individual, the peculiar man, out of which the chamber, out of which chamber that man has to bring revelation and strength for his brethren. This is that for which he was made to reveal the secret things of the Father. <laughs> I every time I read that, it just gives me chills. Like I'm not one for like really, I don't know that kind of poetry in in that just very very classical style, I guess. Uh, but I just love how how that just brings to light, you know, that there is a work for every man to do. There's a part of God that I see that you can't see. And there's a part of God that you see that I can't see. And it's our responsibility to share with each other 
that part of God that the other can't see. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's our, like there's, there was this testimony or sermon a long time ago. My friend was telling me about, about the difference between being a reporter versus a witness. And we're called to be a witness and not a reporter. Reporters give facts and they can interview people and say, okay, this is what happened. But witnesses saw it. Like there is a power in witnessing something because you know what happened then and there. I mean, like, I don't know, you can look at any big example, like, like we talked about 9-11 earlier, people that saw that, like they know so much more than just reporters who came four hours later, you know, they, because they were there. And, and so their testimony matters so much more. And we each have a testimony of God that means something more than anything else in the world. I mean, I have something in me, you have something in you, and each listener has something that they don't even maybe know about that they can reveal to their brother that brings hope and strength and joy. And we each have a work to do. And I just loved how, you know, we talked about Mary and Martha being individuals, but like he, he deals, sorry, he deals with us in such an individual way, but we can deal with other people in such an individual way because of our relationship with Christ, how that's unique as well. I, I love that. Yeah. And when you read something written, you know, when man writes something like that, I mean, there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit was working with him to reveal such a beautiful, plain truth. And that's the awesome thing about truth. And I believe in God and really part of the fullness of the gospel that, that we say we believe in God is so big and I hate how we draw lines sometimes, but I just see more and more that there's going to be a lot of people in his kingdom that are way outside the box that I grew up thinking was what you had to be in to be in his kingdom. And when I read something like that, I'm like, how does that man not know God and the purpose of all mankind? Mm Mm-hmm right? To have him reveal himself to us and then to go forth and reveal that to our brethren. That's, that's truth. Yeah. And so that's truth as much as Abinadi's words in the Book of Mormon. It all comes from the same creator, the same father. And so that's how I feel so much better about your experience and knowing that it's okay if people don't quote, teach the Book of Mormon or believe in the Book of Mormon and all of the weight that goes with that if they're having truth revealed to them by the same father, by the same creator as those men in that book. And it will all, and it will all be part of their life experience at some point, mm-hmm. but God's drawing all men to him based on their needs in what, uh, any way he can. And to me, that makes him so much bigger. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, he's not limited by the book of Mormon. Uh, as great as it is, it's it's not going to limit him. And right. so it, it might have brought a lot of people to Christ, but it's not how everyone will be brought to Christ. There are, I mean, Joseph Smith was brought to Christ because of a direct relationship with him. Uh, it wasn't the Book of Mormon that did it. Right. Um, it brought him to Jesus, and Jesus brought him to the Book of Mormon. I mean, it's a key difference that there is no middleman. You come to Jesus and he will lead you to more truth. You don't go, 
I mean, it, it can happen, but you don't have to say, hey, you accept this truth and 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 this truth. And the list goes on and on to everything you've accepted in your life. And then once you've accepted all of those things, you've checked all those boxes, then you know Jesus. That's not that's not how he works. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And as we said, um, the Book of Mormon is just men writing down revelation from their creator so that we can understand what was explained to them by God. And God can do that directly as much as so. Um, anyway, I, I like this all makes God bigger to me, especially when you're talking about Mary and Martha. To me, that gave me such hope that, you know, I may fail. I may never be as good as my brothers in certain areas in their life and the way they understand God. And like, I want to be like that. But God knows Mike Barrett. He knows my weaknesses, my brokenness, everything I've experienced in my life. And he has a plan for me in whatever way he knows is best for me to be brought back to him. Maybe it's through conversations with you sitting in a car as you reveal things to me. Maybe it's uh, by reading other books or talking with my brother Corey as we as we parse out the scriptures, but he's so personal, and every one of us, if we just trust in him and keep our eyes open, he will bring us back to him and make us fit for his kingdom. That's his work and his glory for each one of us, right? To be present in his kingdom, to have eternal life. Anything else? Andrew, that you would like to say to those listening, because most of the people listening are from this country. There's a few from other countries, but most of them are here in America. Knowing what's going on right now, your experience that you had in Nepal, anything else you want to add? Um, you know, I think it's important to look at where, where our hope lies, you know, as, as, Everything is swirling around us. It can feel like um, we're in the middle of a storm. Um, but just as Peter walking on the water learned, once you take your eyes off of Jesus, that's when you start to sink, you know. And you can you can get wrapped in fear. I mean, you can drown in fear. Peter could have drowned uh, a trillion times, you know. Uh, he could have... I don't even know that there was so much that he could have been lost in, but as soon as he looked to Christ, he was saved. And I, and I think that's important as we, as we move on, um, in life, you know, if people start going back to work or, um, resuming quote unquote normal lives, you know, uh, is that you don't take your eyes off of him. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't dare. And I hope you've learned that through this process is that you will be much happier. You will be much safer. You will be much more fulfilled. You'll be, you'll have so much more peace when your eyes are on him. And I can't say that enough is that I found that true in my life. It doesn't mean I've messed up. doesn't mean I do it all the time. I don't, I, I'm terrible at it, but I know it to be true is that when my eyes are on Christ, I'm happy. When my eyes are on him, I'm fulfilled. When I'm I'm in his service, I, I know where he is. And so when you're feeling lost, you know, my friend, um, I think he shared that when he was here last time, Sam, 
about when Jesus was little, you know, oh, and, right. and his parents lost him. <laughs> Where did they find him? Yeah, uh, doing his father's work, you know. Um, I, you know where to find him because you're doing it with him. And there's, there's nothing more important than knowing where you stand with Christ. And I hope that's brought to you, um, that's been brought to you through all of this quarantine and everything. Um, fear can either drive you to Jesus or drive you away. And I hope it's driven you to him, but if it hasn't, it's never too late, you know? And, and so I, 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 I want the very best for, for every one of you, not because my love is perfect because I know, but because I know God's love is perfect. And, um, you know, I might not be there with him, but I want you to be. And, and I want to be there too, but, uh, I, I, I want you to be, you know? And so I think that's, it, it's just important to never, never forget that. Mm. That was, well, thank you, Andrew. How, how old are you, Andrew? 22. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you, but, uh, I don't want to make you feel prideful, but I am thankful that you are 22 and that you're sharing your testimony and doing what you can to promote the gospel. Um, that gives hope to a lot of people and there is an advantage to being young. Um, there is a little bit of extra hope, I think, because maybe we look at young people and, and younger people and think they shouldn't be doing this. Like there's too many other things to be doing, but we expect it when we're older. But when you see young people, seeing the importance of the gospel, it does boost the faith of everyone. So thank you. And, um, you know, we uphold you guys, younger people, your generation. You know, every one of us is going to take our last breath someday. And it could be because the virus ends up killing us. It could be because cancer or diabetes or anything, you know, a number of other things. But eventually every one of us has to die. That's the way it is, unless we're translated. And that would be a good way to go. But, um, we can't fear that more than not knowing Christ. And so it's a gut check time. This is a very loving chastening, as one minister put it right now. It could be a lot worse. It might get a lot worse, but uh, allow the Lord to chasten you and bring you back to him. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you for coming back and and sharing your testimony. Good. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be in his service, you know. Well, we uh, hope you all appreciated it, our listeners. Until next time, God bless.